Welcome to another episode of Grit Northwest. I'm Joe Cadwell, the writer, producer, and host of the show. If you do, you can hear their voices still calling from across the years. And they're crying across the ocean. They're crying across the land. Dear friends, welcome to the Labor Radio Podcast Network series highlighting the work of our members. The growing network of over 80 shows in five countries serves as a one-stop shop for audiences looking for labor content and as a resource for labor broadcasters, podcasters, and content producers. My name is Evan Papp, and I produce Empathy Media Lab's podcast on labor, political economy, arts, and culture, and we're a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. Today, I'm speaking with Joe Cadwell, who is the president of the Northwest Carpenters Union and host of Grit Northwest, which is a podcast discussing ideas with construction industry professionals, from workers' rights to politics, apprenticeships, leadership development, and more. Joe, thanks for coming on the show. Well, thank you so much, Evan, for having me on the show. I really uh, am a fan of your uh, podcast and um, happy to be here. So could you talk a little bit about yourself, where you grew up and what got you interested in organized labor? Yeah, well, uh, going way back, uh, Evan, I was actually born in Massachusetts. Uh, my family moved out west when I was 10. And uh, at that time, I uh, was like any 10 year old, just not really uh, knowing which direction I wanted to go from, from dinosaurs to geology. I actually came into the world of scuba diving at an early age, right at about age 12, I picked up recreational diving. And funny enough, that, uh, that early introduction set a career path for me, which I am still actively engaged in. I was a commercial diver or a hard hat diver for 35 years. And as a commercial diver, I was able to travel and work all around the world doing commercial diving type work, working on a lot of big infrastructure projects and whatnot. And it was about 20 years ago when I was living in the country of Sweden that uh, I was given the opportunity to help build a very large, long, I should say, uh, tunnel bridge between the south of Sweden and Denmark, uh, Copenhagen, Denmark. And at that point, I thought, man, I'm going to be living in Europe for... uh, for, for quite a quite a run. I'd already been there for four years when this opportunity came along. And I came out to the, uh, came back to the U.S. for a chance to just reconnect with, uh, with some friends and family before basically moving across the pond for good. And that is when I met my wife some 21 years ago. Uh, long story short, I uh, hung up my aspirations to live in Europe. I uh, settled down here in the Northwest and I became a unionized a hard hat diver with the United Brotherhood of Carpenters and Joiners of America. Talk a little bit about this work. I, I've done some diving and uh, I, I can't imagine though going down there and uh, welding, fabricating, putting together. Yeah, what what is this work like? Oh, contrary to popular belief or what you see in Hollywood movies, it is never crystal clear water. It's always uh, very limited visibility conditions. Oftentimes the water can be moving uh, rather quickly. And it's an it's a extremely difficult environment to work in 
except under the best conditions. With that said, I really did enjoy the, uh, the physical nature of it, the, uh, the, the mental proudness you had to have to actually be able to uh, uh, function efficiently underwater to get uh, projects done. A lot of my work was done on the Columbia River and the Snake River here in the Pacific Northwest, working on some of the Army Corps of Engineer hydroelectric facilities, the dams. And we would do a lot of work over the last 20 years, or I have done a lot of work over the last 20 years, working on systems that would help the uh, small salmon uh, safely navigate past these spillways and the turbines on the rivers. We would also do a, a lot of uh, intake and outfall type work and a lot of uh, just heavy construction. And contrary to popular belief, and I heard you say it as well, Evan, the notion that commercial divers, all we do is weld underwater is a complete fallacy. It, uh, most of the, the, uh, the work that we do, if it's going to involve any welding is temporary in nature, sacrificial anodes on, the, on sheet pile walls, uh, round piles, ships, things like that, temporary patches on the bottom of vessels before they can make it to dry dock. But this romantic notion or vision of commercial divers spending hours just welding away underwater <laughs> is, is very, very um, over, over height. Very small percent of your time, correct, if at all. So, and also, you're president of the Northwest Carpenters Union. Um, could, what's the history of that union, and uh, what's that look like day to day? Well, the history of the uh, the UBC dates back to 1881 when we first laid our charter. A fellow named Peter J. McGuire is responsible for organizing the workers of that period of time, uh, working under guilds and and sort of this uh, scatter shot approach to uh, building. Uh, unified the UBC, and uh, we now have a half a million members across the U.S. and Canada, and uh, we are centered uh, out of Washington, D.C., with an international training center down in Las Vegas, and we are the Carpenters. So when you think about the Carpenters Union, we have the Carpenters, we have uh, interior, exterior specialists, we have the pile driving market, the millwright market, and to some extent, the commercial diving market as, as well, as far as the unionized work. There are by far a lot more non-unionized divers than there are unionized. The Gulf of Mexico, which is a big draw for uh, the oil industry and commercial diving work is for the most part, non-unionized. But in the stronger sectors in the Northwest, over in the Northeast and in the central states, yeah, we, uh, we have a lot of market share as far as diving is concerned. My role as the president, though, of the Northwest Carpenters Union uh, came about just over two and a half years ago. And we are a six-state regional council. We're all of Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, and Alaska. We have about 29,000 members and cover over 1.1 million square miles. And I was not even part of my executive board for my local, the 196, the pile drivers and divers, but I was uh, offered the opportunity to sit in pro tem as the regional council president. There was a transition uh, halfway through our executive secretary treasurer, or basically the CEO of our, our regional council. And when that position uh, changed, the opportunity to step in and temporarily run the, uh, the quarterly delegate meeting was presented to me. And these type of opportunities don't come along that often. And I thought, why not? Let's, let's take that never having run a uh, uh, meeting like that. It was, it was quite the learning curve. Fortunately for me, I am somewhat of a quick study 
and got comfortable with the uh, the role. The delegates liked what I was bringing to uh, to the table, what I offered, and they voted me in for a two-year term, which recently was renewed for a four-year stint. That's the, the stint of the regional council president. It's a non-paid position. I am a rank and file member. I'm not part of council staff, and uh, but I definitely hold that position with a lot of pride. So there's sometimes two different cultures of, in the United States of workers. There's the union culture, and then there's the entire group of people that aren't in unions, may not know about unions. And I think part of that is because of the lack of focus from a lot of media on organized labor, labor news, and really putting that at the forefront. So for those who may not be interested or aware of labor news, why do you think unions and organized labor are important and should be covered? Well, I think workers' rights for sure are, should be at the forefront of everyone's mind. We've seen uh, the, the things that uh, the greed of corporate America have uh, done to devastate the working middle class in this country. And I think people are finally at a point where they're saying enough is enough. We need to organize. We need to have uh, a say in the game. It's not the first time. That's how unions back in 1881, when Peter J. McGuire did start the UBC, People were just being asked to work longer, harder, and for the same or less money. And along with uh, unionized labor, not only comes livable wages, which get benefits, medical benefits. In my case, I get benefits uh, for myself and my family. I get access to training. I get safer working conditions. There's a pension. And I also have representation. So if there's some grievance on the job, I have someone who can turn to. And that is the beauty, true beauty of being in an organized labor union. There's strength and safety in numbers. And going back to what you started off with, yeah, there are the, uh, the union members. And then we like to think of it, those who have not yet joined the union. We're all organizers. We're all actively recruiting, trying to, to strengthen our numbers to push back against corporate greed and just unscrupulous contractors who are looking to take advantage of their workers through misclassification or wage theft or, or uh, just asking them to do unsafe work practices. So there's a, a lot to be said for organized labor. So could you talk about your show, Grit Northwest, and why you wanted to start it and what it's about? Well, that's a great question. Yeah, Grit Northwest came about uh, not even six months. I think it's actually five months today that Grit Northwest got launched. And it was right on the heels of my being reelected to the regional council president role. I, with COVID on the forefront of everyone's mind, I wanted to be able to reach out and engage with the membership. The first two years of my presidency, it really took me two years to, to fully understand the, the role and, and uh, Robert's rules of order and how to orchestrate and run uh, meetings that, um, where everyone's voice could be heard and, and a lot of responsibility there. But after two years, when I was given the, the, uh, the nod at the reelection, I thought I want to do more with this opportunity and what better way to do that than with a podcast. And I've, I've been a big fan of podcasts for years. I didn't know anything about starting a podcast. So I, I definitely took a, uh, uh, crash course through YouTube and self-study to learn everything from interviewing techniques to the, to the nuts and bolts, the mechanics of digital audio editing, to hosting platforms, to the promotion of podcasts, to the booking of uh, guests. There's quite a bit involved in it, but I'm happy to say that the show is really well received and 
just now we're, we're looking at about 20,000 uh, individual listens in the course of five months. So uh, somehow, some way I've, I've managed to strike a chord and, and uh, it's being well received. Very quick study indeed. Uh, and I, I really like that you get into the weeds in, in some of the programs where you're actually talking about what it means to be in a union. You also talk about leadership development, uh, career advice. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a great podcast. Well, thank you. I, I try to approach it from a, almost like a childlike perspective in, in, the, in the fact that I've been in the union now for 24 years and, and all along the way, I had so many questions that I, no one seemed to know the answers to, or if they did have an answer, oftentimes they were misguided or misinformed as to what was really going on. And I went through a lot of my career, about 16 years, really not fully understanding all the benefits of being a union member. And I thought when I had this opportunity to sort of reach out again and educate people and, and to some extent educate them, uh, uh, entertain them and get them motivated to actually take some pride and ownership in their, in their union. And that's sort of the crossroads of Grit Northwest. It's very much dealing with labor issues, but it's also a lot to do with blue collar pride and just showing that, yeah, uh, the, the tr a career in the trades should be a first choice career, one that you can hold your head high and, and know that you are definitely building the wealth of this nation while you provide for yourself and your family. So looking at the Labor Radio Podcast Network, as a member, how'd you hear about it? And why do you think this network is important? Well, in the, uh, in the pursuit of trying to perfect my show, I, I began to uh, seek out and look for other labor-centric podcasts. And along the way, I came along the Labor Radio Podcast Network, and I have been really, really impressed that in just such a short order of time, the, uh, the growth of that organization and, and how um, vast and deep the, the uh, breadth of knowledge is. And to some extent, some of the shows are very, very intense and I can just learn so much from them. And like my show, you know, a little more, I won't say lighthearted, but I don't tend to get as deep into the weeds. But every time I listen to uh, some of the other shows on the podcast network, I learn uh, not only more about labor, uh, labor history, but also how to improve my messaging. So I think it's a, a really great that this, this coalition of like-minded people have come together to push back against a lot of that right-wing media slant that we know is so prevalent in the, in the nation. You know, we talked about Labor Radio Network having just over 80 shows. Uh, the number I heard on the right wing radio talk shows, 1,500 in the U.S. So there's a, a, quite a disparity between the two sides there. So we've got to keep growing and the work that you're doing is, is helping with that. And I think getting more, um, more people involved in the, the media sphere and like bringing new guests on your show and things like that. And, you know, reversing that tide where you said you were in a union for 16 years and you were still, you know, could have learned more about what union was doing for you. Um, and, and I think as more people learn about that, obviously more people are gonna wanna join. So that's for sure. So in closing, looking into the future of organized labor, where do you see opportunity and hope? Messaging is, is everything. We have to get the message out to make our union members, our union brothers and sisters across 
the, uh, the, the nation and to the world for that extent to understand that these assaults are, are um, not gonna stop on our workers' rights, that we have a, a role and a responsibility to step up, take ownership and take pride in our organization. And that comes through engaging, uh, opening dialogue, conversation, educating ourselves onto the issues, and then just being, when called upon to take action, to show up at those town hall meetings, to, to actually uh, vote for uh, candidates that have been endorsed by labor unions, to actually follow through with that, to show up at your union meetings. And I feel that there's a lot of momentum and there's a lot of positivity and, and understanding with the, uh, the last four years, what's gone on and the assaults against uh, the working class that we do have to, to join together in order to be able to push back. So I think there's a lot of hope. And again, the Labor Radio Podcast Network, your show and shows like yours are doing a lot to get that messaging out and further engaging our membership to, to have their eyes open and to be an active part in, in, the, in the fight. You better listen, my brother, because if you do, you can hear there are voices still calling from across the years. And they're crying across the ocean, they're crying across the land, and they're willing to we all come to understand. None of us are free, none of us are free. right we got to feel for each other let our brothers know we're here got to get the message send it out all loud and clear none of us are free 